Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, welcome to another episode. I'm here with Helena. Hi Helena. Hey y'all. How are you? Good. Excellent. And what will you be talking to me today about? Um, less talking to you than just maybe rambling around the cloud of stuff that I haven't, haven't really said to the world before. I put a lot of thought into, you know, we, we, we spoke about this podcast over two weeks ago. Um, and it's just no matter how, how I think around it, it just ha- hasn't been coherent. Uh, maybe it's some level of perfectionism. And maybe I'll never get to the point where I'm fully coherent, uh, which, which is what, I'm, what I want to talk to you about today. The um, uh, seeking to perfect that. Uh, expression of oneself uh, at what point do you feel like you're good enough to show yourself to the world and uh, signal that you're you're a person that is 3d that you can interact with uh, coming out of that NPC shell I guess yeah and so that's fascinating it sounds like we're having a conversation on on two different levels so one is uh, meta about kind of how do you know when something is coherent enough and perfected and the other is about the thing which we actually want to maybe uh, perfect or make whole or something like that so that's nice I, I'm excited to see how this is going to turn out and in terms of thinking about this issue how how far back do you find yourself pondering this I recently began uh, writing my morning pages again and I basically confronted my inability to uh, write. Like, why haven't I been writing? Why have I felt this whole uh, stagnation and hesitance towards writing? Um, to the point where I'm editing, editing, editing. And uh, before a whole sentence can be formed, um, I'm like, getting rid of it again. It's like, I'm too afraid to expand on my thoughts. I'm too afraid to even see what I'm thinking. Um, And maybe subconsciously there is the censorship that's been going on for a much longer time. Uh, I know I've carried a really heavy uh, inner critic for a very long time. Recently, actually trying to write has made this more apparent that I have a lot of self-doubt and when I actually put myself at, at my desk and, and write, it feels very demanding. And it feels like looking at a, a, a different part of myself that I haven't looked at for a long time or haven't had the courage to look at. The part of me that's you know creative or intuitive, um, it's very often covered away uh, for fear that I cannot comprehend it, for fear that it's incoherent in fear that it would break the illusion that, you know, I need to be uh, a person that stands on two feet. Like what, what, if, what if there are days where I want to be experimental? What if there are days where I move differently? I think the self-censorship is not allowing that to happen. So there's some lack of flourishing that's happening in this not writing, not expressing. Yeah, that makes total sense. So it's like an inhibited unfolding in some way. And I think you established here a nice, uh, an apt link between actually the doing things that we become very self-critical about, but also the aspect of actually letting ourselves be a work of art. So there's the things that we do and we need to learn how to accept them and be happy with them and let them flow. And in much the same way, we need to let ourselves unfold unhindered 
and unobstructed and not kind of uh, put obstacles in their own way of unfolding. And that's a fascinating subject that I'm dealing with myself these days. So I'm feeling like I'm starting to make progress, but it's still a lot to think about. And I think the concept that comes to my mind when I think of that is um, authorship or authority. Um, let me know if you if that resonates with you, um, and I can explain why later. Do you mean to be authoritative with yourself, uh, dictating your your own being and your own expression to the point where yourself as a work of art is being hindered? Yeah, I mean that um, I had this experience in my life where I realized I could say something and and really be convinced by myself or, or have a conviction. So it's kind of how do we actually acquire conviction rather than have, have doubts? Um, conviction is scary because it means that you're going with this one thing and you're letting go of FOMO, right? And yes. you, just, you just flow with this one thing that you decided on. And that's, and that's a scary part. I mean, if we start as a block of wood, and we don't really know what kind of shape we want to be made into. And we know that some cuts are going are irreversible and they're sending us down a, a certain trajectory. And when I say authority or authorship, I mean, it's very interesting to learn about ourselves. What kind of things actually become conviction? Um, because even the most fickle people have some convictions, convictions, but maybe it's about how they don't have convictions or something like that. Um, if that makes I feel that sense way. at all. <laughs> yes, I, I feel that way right now. <laughs> and it's interesting for me to hear from you. What are some things that you don't have doubts about? Because maybe by examining this, it's interesting to look out for them and analyze why the few things or however many things that you do feel certain about, you feel certain about, and what is that source of authority that gives us conviction? Well, the, the inner critic is quick to say, I, I am convinced that I will never be good enough. So that's a very strong subconscious conviction that I carry with me. Uh, I don't say I carry it proudly, but it's always there. Uh, so that's one. What else do, am I convinced of? I'm convinced that I'm resilient. Uh, I'm convinced that I am pliable and I'm able to live uh, more than a handful of lives in, in one lifetime. Well, it certainly sounds that you and I share a, a, a mythological, like a mythology maybe, because I, for myself, I realized that one thing I did to kind of alleviate doubts over my ability to overcome future catastrophes, let's say, is that I have this mythology of a phoenix running in my head. And it's not something that mm. I take literally like, but it's something that, for example, this narrative of being a phoenix, of having this idea that I could rise yeah. from anything, for some reason, this actually gives me the power to be able to tell myself that yes i am resilient in the way you're describing so did you do you have anything like that yeah yeah uh just this moment i i think i'm going through that uh birth again come coming out from the ashes again but maybe even just rewinding it a bit i'm like deep in flames just being roasted <laughs> um <laughs> by a very strong anguish that keeps coming back uh and i don't know how long this is gonna keep burning until you know you could rise from the ashes again as it as it goes uh but i'm in the thick of this uh flame this uh relinquishing all all that i have not been able to feel before and now it's coming at me full force uh physically uh i've changed my lifestyle recently uh i've quit smoking uh, i've moved into a new place and that's kind of giving it's kind of giving me the support to let loose some of the convictions i've carried with me before 
some of the feelings that I haven't been able to feel before are suddenly coming up at me really strongly. Just why I'm, I say I'm at, in the thick of this flame. And expression is so difficult when you're on fire. Uh, but I'm very absorbent uh, right now. Just like, you know, fire gets, uh, uh, you, you can fan the fire with air. Uh, I can sort of fan that with literature, with people, memories. It's just making, it's just stoking that flame. Like I'm, I'm reading books. Uh, I'm reliving memories in my head that are stoking that flame. And it feels like I'm at a breaking point and it's kind of scary. Uh, had this conversation with my therapist yesterday, being in the thick of, you know, uh, the end of something, uh, not even sure if you're gonna meet uh, the beginning again. Do you always get a new beginning? You don't but you don't know which one would be your last beginning. Sure, sure. I mean, that, that makes total sense. Like being on the cusp of, of, of something different, you know, something is coming, but you're not yet sure exactly what. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And to me, it also, it also reminds me of, a, of an episode I had where I had a, sort of an epiphany don't know if I'm going to get into the whole story here, but I was in an altered state of mind and I felt a voice kind of telling me to let go of things. Yes, I felt a voice. I know it's weird, but that's what happened. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> and for some reason, like under, under certain circumstances, and I don't know if it's biochemical, if it's mental, I don't really know where the divide if there is any between body and soul goes but for some reason that voice stuck with me and it said let go let go and that's that's like a moment it's just an example for a moment where i felt something had the authority and i i adopted that wholeheartedly not without skepticism for a while but eventually it felt real enough that that i actually internalized it and, and made it part of myself and it's a really good question now that you're going to go on and, and I believe you when you say things are about to change, that you're standing at some edge and about to take some plunge, something is going to happen. Um, whether you're going to get pushed or jump yourself, it doesn't matter sometimes. And I wonder if you are starting to have a conception of how it's, your unfolding is going to be happening and how the shift away from this vicious circle of self-doubt is what is it going to look like do you imagine it to be any particular way is it by trying new things is it by keeping on reading maybe it's by actually going full force into doing yeah i i like what you said about um having the conviction that uh you can let go uh first hearing it as an external voice and then you integrating into yourself uh, with conviction that you, you can let go. If I think about letting go, it would look a bit like uh, that first step I told you about earlier to start writing my morning pages again. It's the courage of letting thought unfold and expand again without judging it or at least judging it too much. Uh, and see what what it says, what is reflected back. It's like actually looking at yourself in a mirror. Um, I think that's that's cool that writing allows you to to see that, uh, especially over time when you have big volumes of of written work. Uh, you know whether or not you publish it or you store it away or whatever, you can always look back and it's like a snapshot. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing this in preparation for when I actually leap over, then I can look back and say, okay, this is, this is what the snapshots look like. Um, I may not ever read it again. I'm not sure if I will, if I need to, but it's, um, it's the act of, act of writing rather than the product of the writing. That's, that's more important. Do you also I'm not sure how I got here now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel 
another thing that that kind of interests me is this voice, the the self doubt, right? I mean, of course, also in my case, when I say I felt a voice, like it's not that I think that it's something outside of me, right? I think there are multiple personalities with, within us in a certain way. Um, and there's no reason why there shouldn't be. We have certain patterns of thinking. Some are very original and originate with, with our life experience. Some are just reverberating their, since our parents told us things, you know, and they just keep kind of bouncing off the walls and echoing. And mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear from you if the self-critic, is it easy for you to, to tie it to a certain point in your life? to like childhood and what is really the threat that it carries with it that what exactly is going to happen if if what you do is not good enough it's a it's a voice that got worse over time uh not worst uh it's a voice that became less uh less about the people that were in my past but more like a, a morphed version of like an evil me that's in me. So this, this critic that used to, you know, sound like uh, the voice of a parent, it doesn't even sound like them anymore. Uh, it doesn't even matter. It, they, it doesn't have a face anymore. If it, if it even had a face, it would be mine because uh, I, I, I've been reading some of Jung's psychology recently and um, the word, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce this word, but the Im imagos, so the image, imagos, so image of um, a parent as opposed to the, the actual parent it can be very different, especially if, if it's morphed with many, many years of resentment and doubt and anger, it can, it can take its own form. And so that's, that's how it is for, for this inner critic. Uh, it's a part of me that it didn't used to be a part of me, but now it's definitely a part of me because I, I can't, you know, I can't just take this voice and compare it to to somebody else and go, yeah, this I, this is to blame. Like, no, this is this is all me at this point. Um, so I'm just wondering if if you can trace the origins of of this voice in you, and also, yeah, what what is it? threatening you with when it's speaking like because i think for a lot of us i mean obviously this is not unique to you um and i'm interested in the in the threat that it has over us what is it yeah kind of like swinging in front of your face is like look at this grim future what is it <laughs> yeah okay okay so we we spoke about the inner critic we spoke about where it comes from and how it's morphed into its own shape uh, now it's kind of like a deity in my head that I have to sacrifice frequently to. And uh, I offer this deity with uh, addictions. Uh, in the past, it has been eating disorders. Uh, it has been, I don't know, just all sorts of um, distractions. Um, you know, I, I would even consider something as uh, being mindless as an offering. Like I'm not really intentionally using my time. I'm not thinking proactively or, or moving in a, in a proactive way. I would even consider that as uh, offerings to this self, uh, this inner critic. Um, I wow, tell could you, you, could, I you could, could you expand on that? Cause that's fascinating. Like eating disorders, I understand. Um, different addictions, I understand, I think a lot of them are centered on, on having sort of control, but this is novel to me, um, spending your days in a bad way. In a days. Or, yeah, or like yeah. unproductive. So yeah, that's interesting. Could you um, kind of paint a picture to me of how it's of, of the same kin as the other things? Yeah, I think... One of my greatest fears is to live inauthentically. So if I spend all day being kind of offline and, and living in fear or living in resentment, living in the past, ruminating on memories that don't even matter anymore, how am I, how am I going to go through that 
uh, rebirth from the ashes again if I'm constantly stuck in this loop of uh, rumination. It's like you get so good at suffering that you don't even have an idea of what being alive mean again. Uh, and yet you have this longing for, for aliveness, for um, some sparkle, right? Uh, I feel like there are a lot of, I, I spent a lot of days being afraid that my life will never sparkle again. And this, this is the thing that feeds the critic. If I keep suffering, if I kept uh, myself miserable, then it's like a vicious cycle of it being bigger and bigger. This inner critic has a bigger uh, shape and form within my body. Like I could literally feel parts of myself shrinking smaller and smaller while this other part of my inner critic is, you know, slowly bursting out of my head. Like it's like a, like a, like a tree growing out of, out of um, the ground. <laughs> Well, it, it, reminds me, it reminds me more of like the, the fungus that takes over the ant and makes it go somewhere. Oh my like, goodness. And then yeah, grows yeah. Out, of, out of its head. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I, dark, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I, I think I understand better, better now. And yeah, what, what, are some, what are some strategies, if you don't mind sharing, that you've already applied to maybe combat this um, cycle mm, going to therapy helps talking to people helps yeah that's actually the the most difficult part right like uh stepping out and letting someone know you're even thinking of this um i don't always have the right words or frame to describe what I'm going through but maybe that doesn't matter if you just if you feel a sense of kinship with with the people you're around like it's it's almost like getting distracted like you don't have to think so hard about why you hate yourself or something if if you could instead spend the time uh with friends with people that you care about uh doing more lighthearted things I don't, I don't know if it's a distraction or, or not, but it, it is useful. I think it, it brings a thought to my mind. So again, it's kind of backtracking just a little bit to see, because you just now said distraction. And it's something I noticed about myself too, in my struggles with depression, like years ago, um, when you're just stuck in a cycle or in a deep rut that you kind of created for yourself over time and yes you can distract yourself and it's it's a really good question you're raising because i really don't know what constitutes just transient change and feeling better for a little bit through doing something else and obviously other people are immensely important because they are not you right basically they <laughs> they grab you out of your shell for a while and you need to interact with them and you lose yourself. And I think a lot of, a lot of everything associated with self-criticism and all that is of course the ego speaking and, and that is a sort of a cycle of rumination. So getting out of yourself is, a, is an important thing, but that's the question. If it, if it helps like in the short run of just, getting your mind off of things for, for a little while or what can be done to really, really starting to put this genie back in the, back in its lamp um, to really trap it there and not, not have it bother you long-term. And, and that's something that's fascinating to me. So um, for me, the most profound experience I had that actually did something major in that realm is, is psychedelics, right? Um, which a lot of people report. It's like this life-changing thing that gets into the, your deepest parts of the brain, the amygdala um, and, and the cerebellum and all that and kind of change things there long-term. And that's a good question. Like, have you tried thinking of of 
ways to affect these parts because they these the self-critic seems to be dwelling in in a deeper part of our brain that's harder to reach and and tweak I think uh, Nick Camerata on Twitter calls it psychosurgery. <laughs> uh, and I think it involves some regular exercise of, of gratitude and, uh, and in fact, just gratitude, I think. Uh, can you actively find things to be grateful about and feel and not block the flow of love when it flows, when it is finally flowing through you? The, the critic is a major blocker when it comes to feeling grateful. I can imagine, you know, over time, the more you practice that, that muscle, like gra gratitude as a muscle, that you can probably physically alter, uh, you know, parts of your brain that you mentioned with, uh, as with psychedelics that could maybe create um, permanent change or healing. I don't, I don't have enough to report though. <laughs> I haven't you mentioned, really you mentioned seriously love. practiced gratitude. You mentioned love and, and mm -hmm. what did you mean? Is it allowing yourself to, to be loved in a way that will make it apparent that um, the critic is wrong when it says that you're not good enough? Or do you mean love uh, radiating out of you to the outside? I think it's believing that I'm not singled out as a person that cannot feel the flow of love when it reaches me. Like everyone gets their turn. Uh, but for some reason, my ego wants to say, except me, because I'm not good enough. So there's a blocker, doesn't permeate through. So now I need to have some conviction that I am made of the, I'm, you know, cut from the same cloth that I can also feel this flow of love. And I guess the challenge is when it comes in, do I even know how it feels like? That's also, you, you need training for that in itself, I think, to um, familiarize yourself how love feels. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, saying it in a different way, maybe in circumlocution, but it relates to earlier stages in life where you feel that maybe we have not been exposed to, to certain emotions or, or feelings that later on we grow up to be and we, we turn out to be lacking in, in knowledge about how certain things feel and these happen to be central to well-being. That's interesting, right? As, as, an, as a grown-up, you only know the things that you can put a word to. Uh, when, when you feel something that is, um, I don't know about you, but if I feel something foreign, I sometimes go on like wheel charts of, of words or I go through a dictionary to find a word that kind of describes how I'm feeling. And I have to intuitively say, mm, I'll pick this one. But I don't know though, because I have so much self-doubt over what I'm feeling. Uh, but putting a word to it, that doesn't matter. It only matters in so far that you want to express it to, to somebody else maybe. And even then it's contestable because you can create abstract works of art and still convey certain emotions without words. Is it, is it important? Um, but if it, if it goes undocumented, did it ever exist? Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking we should be. We should definitely be aware and and get ourselves used to getting hyper awareness when these novel things are are felt. So we have a salient memory of them, and I think it's wonderful that you're going looking for words. And I might try to do that myself. Not sure if I did, but I think maybe the most important thing for us is to have a salient memory of it and really document it well, so-called, so that later on in life, we have some sort of reference to go back to and, and be informed by this memory as we go forward. And maybe it never crosses the, the threshold into the, the world of words, like you say. 
Oh, I like what you're saying. It's like um, an inside out where they have formative memories for for each emotion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, maybe this is my journey to to find or create the formative uh, experiences that's going to shape these uh, new emotions that I'm colonizing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it makes sense to me now that that you mention it in the way that you mention me. You mention it of something novel that's just happening to you, and you know I realize that. Language is by far the most powerful tool that humans ever came up with, but it has its limitations. And we take uh, spectrums and we have to cut them up into categories, right? We, we have to, we just can't. I mean, words, a word is, is one thing. It's not a continuum, um, though it can cover a continuum. It, it, it inevitably covers a continuum, but however well you're going to cut up this spectrum, you're going to end with, um, with different parts of it that are not well-defined because the right may be on the border between two existing concepts that describe it or words. And it's very, very important, I think, when it comes to feeling, when it comes to, even when it comes to thinking, because thinking at the base is not done with words. Um, it's very important to to know when to soak something in in a totally fresh way and not jump into this tendency to to label it um so really take it in and and then label it because i think all wisdom is is having a lot of nuance like always keep accruing more and more nuances until your resolution of just everything, of your perception of the world is just much sharper, right? This is all we can do in this life. This is the one thing that gets us through this life well um, and healthy. It's just being able to see um, more of reality um, as accurately as possible. Um, so I really love what you're saying there with um, taking in new experiences and making a salient memory of them and then looking for ways to also express them to others. That's super important. When you say wisdom, is it like a, a personal truth or are you searching for a universal kind of truth? Yeah, big question. I think when it comes to living well, there, it's a hundred percent a science. And by science, I mean a process of um, guessing and error correction. So very much in the vein of, of David Deutsch's work. If anybody wants to read his books, The Beginning of Infinity and look up his TED Talks, David Deutsch. So science is a process of, of conjecture and criticism or guessing and self-correction, uh, error correction, sorry. And in that sense, philosophy, as it's done by the individual, is 100% a science. Yes, it's not done with any instruments other than our mind, but it's totally a science. And you can be your own scientist and explore reality in your own mind, and you have to come up with a mental framework that most closely resembles reality, which we don't experience firsthand. So everything is neurons crackling in our mind. But some of the patterns we find in our, and become aware of in our consciousness are a better fit to reality than others. And each of us is its own scientist, and it's a special science because it's a first-person science. So I absolutely cannot do this science for you, even if I want to. That's why subscribing to some sort of religion, code, any sort of code, any sort of code, including the legal code, is not going to get you um, to where you want if you just adhere to a code. And wisdom for the ancient Greeks, it's just this aspect of living well, of being prudent, um, that is connected with knowing the good. So knowing the chains of causality that lead up to the highest good, which is mental health so i hope that mm -hmm. clarifies <laughs> do you have a workflow for integrating 
from a, a, lar- a larger code. Like Sorry, we, we know a lot of things from the, the, the Greeks have left us a lot of uh, philosophy uh, on living well, but um, as you say, becoming your own, your, your own scientist requires you to experiment and integrate parts of what you've read, what you've studied. Do you have a workflow for it? Is it, is it procedural? Is it, mm. does it have an algorithm or does it just kind of like happen and you're like, oh, a, a new one's just hit me today. <laughs> Gonna live with that for some time. <laughs> So that certainly happens. I mean, life life happens and, and you're just faced with situations that where you go, oh, that's interesting and it connects to something. But there is also the procedural part of it is, is dialectic, right? So take the concepts that you know, and the concepts are not words, but we access them through words. Um, so take something like justice, right? And look all around it as thoroughly as you can how it connects to other concepts around it, you know? So one of the first things you might notice is like, oh yeah, justice is clearly about the relationship between me and others, right? Uh, Between people. And then you just see, oh, well, that's fascinating. Why they're they're the high court of justice or something. Why why do we call the courts justice? Um, Why is religion so obsessed with it and how do they approach it? And I think just this is dialectic, okay? So looking at this concept, contrasting it with other things and comparing it with other things and seeing how each concept eventually over time is becoming more accurate, more stable, less fuzzy, how it relates to other things. Where does it sit in this matrix of nodes that kind of connect to one another and This is not a true representation of reality, which we can't access, but you can create a framework that sits well with reality. And if you're a sensitive person, which I'm sure you are, then you also get, I think, an idea through how elegant it is, how harmonious, how beautiful it is. And you get a sense that it's starting to work for you and it sorts out a lot of the confusion. Like that's, that's been my experience so what do you think about how this relates to to authority maybe to to conviction i think there's something there between when things are just so evidently elegant when it's so evident to your soul that they are that they are beautiful that gives them more salience oh it's like when the clutter just kind of clears up mm. like the the moment when um in my head I'm seeing the birds that fly off of the tree and then the branches are sort of wobbling a bit but it settles down and it regains that balance in its in its shape and form I guess that's what it feels like right when you when you feel conviction is when the branches are shaken but they're they're steady again and you can just this fleeting moment of, of clarity maybe that this is just how it should be that like you said it's it's elegant I might have to apply this to my personal beliefs and if I close my eyes and ask myself or, or say to myself I am a confident person does that does it have the same quality as the image I, I just shared with you of the branches coming to a to a to a stillness again maybe that's that's a good uh technique i think it's it's not just about like how how it strikes you how what you say strikes you but i actually didn't go over like the the procedure so-called so where the science comes in is where you have a sort of conception that you actually we all have conceptions but as we grow up and we just do whatever we want and understand things according to what we saw as children based on our um, sense perception, these things just kind of fall into place, but they're, uh, they're rubble more than anything well-built. And I think our thinking is then fuzzy and illogical in a way because it's not well-defined and not doesn't have good order. But when we start to consciously 
think about these things. We find the beauty, we find, we find the harmony, and then we can take such conception of like justice, for example. So now we already established something like we're holding this one block in place, right? And then we can go and attach some block next to it and see that they hold well together. And over time, as we go and construct this worldview, this total, this more wholesome matrix of, of connections, we find something more stable. And with that, as scientists, as first-person scientists, we go and apply that to the world because understanding, we have knowledge, right? Knowledge is this matrix of things. And understanding is applied knowledge. So then we go and apply this knowledge and see what happens. And that's the experimentation. Because if you get feedback, it's like, oh, what I thought about being a good friend, I thought long and hard about it, but what I did today with, um, with this knowledge is that I applied it and the feedback that I got is I got my friend very upset. Well, now it gives me food for thought. Was I in the wrong or are they, what is their conception? Right now I have to think about other people and, and what their conceptions are like. Um, what was the, uh, the disharmony there? What happened? Um, and that's, that's just like for a scientist to say, hmm, that's interesting, you know, and start further exploration and investigation of these phenomena. So that's, the, that's the really the science part. And just like science, according, according to Deutsch again, there is no authority in science. You can't say, it's not about saying that evolution is true in a foundational sense, but it's the best explanation we have. And it explains far more than any explanation about a God or, or any sort of deity. And it's exactly the same thing. It's not about ever being so confident that I know I'm on the right path, but it's always about improvement and progress. And that is improvement and progress. And hopefully by the time we are a few decades older, everything just becomes easier because our model of the world is in our heads, our foundational knowledge is good. And when we apply it, we get good feedback. I like Sorry, this I'm rambling. Of... No, no, I love it because now I feel I feel more compassionate towards what I know and I don't know. So having having data points as a younger person being pieces of rubble that you need to piece together like jigsaw puzzles or trade pieces with other people, that that is more actionable to me than thinking I my younger memories and beliefs are set in stone and I'm afraid to touch them because uh, then I wouldn't know who I am anymore. Um, so I, I like this model of seeing, seeing what you know as being pieces of rubble that can be built into something more and the conviction that, or at least I don't, maybe it's not even conviction, but knowing that you're good enough that you have a good enough theory or model that you can step out in the world and interact with it and come back and uh, revise, then the challenge is to stay mindful and stay intentional in your, in your pursuit to, to revise. For sure. I think one thing that's been recurring to me, a thought is that you know what, I might not be good at something. We are never good at something we just started taking on. But am I at a disadvantage compared to anybody else to reach important insights? I look around me and I don't see too many happy people. I don't see too many people who don't have complaints, who don't have doubts. And this includes the most successful people as per our culture, you know? And I take it seriously when I see Michael Phelps talking about himself wanting to commit suicide, maybe even though he's the world record holder in so many different types of swimming and he's the world record holder in terms of gold medals and he has a beautiful wife and healthy children. Obviously, he's rich. I take it seriously and I don't think and it doesn't make sense to me anymore after that, that being successful in the mainstream notion of the world of the word is, is anything 
worth having. And if I have an inner critic telling me these things, well, our instinct is to is to approach it with this kind of like we're taken aback because it floods us emotionally. And it's this strong voice that tells us we're not good enough. But actually, this not good enough person, I can ask this voice some questions. Let's see if he has any good answers at all. Or it's just a, a balloon full of air, you know, that appears to be big and powerful, but is nothing but hot air. Um, when I start examining this voice, it's like, well, you say I'm not good enough, but what is the good anyway? Do you know, do you know that? Well, I can think about it. Not you. I don't care what the voice is doing when I'm going to sleep, if, if it ever existed, except for that fleeting moment when it's talking to me, right? But I can do dialectic. I can be a scientist. I can think about the good, about what it means. And when somebody's speaking to me, it could be a real person or this voice. I can have confidence that I put out my best answer to it and see what happens. Maybe it has some objection that will show me that not everything is solved because it's giving me doubts again. I'm skeptical again about my own abilities. But maybe I find one day that, hey, my answer is satisfactory enough such that this voice miraculously doesn't come back the next day, you know? There's an elegance to it. Like you said before and i think i think inside our soul we also have this uncanny ability to yeah to perceive harmony um which i think is the most sublime concept that is still hard for me to grasp and i still think about it almost daily where does it come from our ability to to perceive harmony not with our senses we can do it with our senses we call it beauty um, we can perceive it with our ears. We call it harmony, like musical harmony and so on. And the nature of harmony is, is very interesting. And I think that once we stumble upon it, when we are making, organizing a room, so-called, in our mind, it's definitely a good sign. <laughs> I like that. I'm thinking of when you said the word beauty as, as a harmony of the senses, I remember all the mornings uh, I wake up here in my, in my home uh, to the sound of birds, to crickets, to uh, there's a farmer out outside and every morning he, 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 he's shouting and he's making really scary noises to scare the birds away. Uh, and he's just making ridiculous uh, yelling noises, but that's become part of my routine. And even there, there is beauty in, in that, you know? <laughs> this like man shouting outside of, of my of my house um but it is as as it should be i wake up and i hear these things i hear the rustle of my my dogs running in the grass um i hear the stream of water from the river that flows behind um these little speckles that work together and when I step out there first thing in the morning, the coolness on my skin, uh, the birds with the flutter of their wings as they fly across my head, they do something to me. And I think you've, you've got the word for it, it's harmony. And when I finish soaking in uh, with my senses and I go back to my desk and I start writing, the effects of how I'm feeling after writing is exactly that feeling. It's the harmony, it's the... It's the release of self-doubt, uh, release of that critic, because I finally allowed it to sit behind while I'm working. I'm being creative. I'm being intuitive. You're, you're not allowed in here. Yeah. I, nice. I, so I it, it sounds like you're importing, I, yeah. importing harmony, and then you're able to, to better connect with yourself and, and silence the critic. Yes, yes. And I wonder, do you feel like there is any part of your, like any domain in your mind of, of concepts or of anything like that yet that you do feel is better organized, like has order um, or anything like that? And do you feel that you're more confident about that part in you? Something that you actually, so for example, let's take your 
notion that you that you are resilient you know over there mm-hmm. um does it feel like you know what resilience means as a concept better than other concepts and that's what gives the experience of yes i know this hmm. i don't really feel harmony towards the word resilience it's it's actually when i think of the word resilience i'm thinking of myself in fetal position while the while the ground is shaking <laughs> ah okay so there there is very little harmony there <laughs> <laughs> i see no that's interesting so see well Here is just in a nutshell an example of how people talk to one another and are not getting to the bottom of things because we have different conceptions of things and if we want to be more harmonious over time it's important that we find the discrepancies in our own minds and eventually the discrepancies between um, our concepts and other people's concepts but I do think that in resilience you expressed the also an understanding that it has to do with living to see another day with having a chance of flourishing despite suffering a setback so i do think that your meaning of resilience does carry something more than lying in a fetal position maybe that's the still picture of it but if we made it into a short video there would also be you getting up slowly and looking around you to see what transpired and how to keep going mm-hmm Yeah, I can see that. And when the ground stops shaking, it returns to a state of harmony again. The same way the words, uh, the birds fly away and the branches are still again. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts? No. Um, that was a, a joyous exploration. It was kind of like w- walking... Like if I, if I met you in person and we just went for a walk and there are vignettes of the ground shaking and big fires going through as we're just walking along and we go, oh, okay, <laughs> there's this and there's that. Oh, yeah. Now, now I, I would like this conversation to become an animated film for sure. That would be nice. <laughs> we're just walking is, and to your yeah, left we, we've, been, we've just... been throwing so many like metaphors involving the physical world and nature yes. and, and all that. So that's really nice. Well, Helena, thanks so much for, for being um, open and curious and being willing to share. And if you want to add anything now, including uh, where people can reach you, if you want your writings to be uh, read, And so on so you're more than welcome to do that and I suggest people do that I am Harona H e r r o w and a Harona on Twitter and I do not have anything to share besides my Twitter <laughs> well that's that's good enough so follow um, Helena on Twitter to gain some insight from her and thank you so much again I hope we'll talk again someday soon. Thank you, Ian. Bye-bye. Bye.